The holidays are here, and each comes laden with meaning and memories. How might we as Christians keep the feast? What days are worth celebrating and why? Gather round and listen close. After all, tis the season. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of, what are we calling this? Tis the season. Tis the season. And it is. It is it the is. season. Um, which it's I the didn't season know. season of, of Christmas. Which I didn't know was a contraction until is, yeah. we had to name this. It's a novel. Con- yeah, because some people will say tis. And tis, tis, tis is different than tis, as in it is, right? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so <laughs> this is this particular episode we're calling The Empty Stocking. Uh, but before we kind of get to why we're calling it that, I want to ask a question. Why is Christmas such a special and memorable time of year? Why is it? Part of it is because we treat it as special. We we do so many unique things during Christmas. We put up lights all over the outside of our houses, and we put a living botanical garden in our living rooms, and we uh, pack presents for each other. I mean, there's so many things that only happen during Christmas season. Uh, it just fills itself with memories, I think. Yeah. I like that because we treat it as special. That's why it's special. That's why it's memorable. The pomp and the circumstance of Christmas is it, 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 these punctuation marks in our lives where we kind of go, that was different, you know, (laughs) than everything else. Then, like the old Christian calendars had the major holidays like Advent and Easter, and then they went into ordinary time on the calendar. There's a season called ordinary time. So there's something about Christmas that's extraordinary. So I think that. Also, um, we treat it special, and so over time, we end up with this accumulation of memories surrounding it. Mm. Uh, and we, you know, we just did a podcast on a Christmas Carol, Dickens' you know classic work, and um, the the ghost of Christmas past did this exercise on Scrooge, in which she reminded him of all these accumulated memories that were transformative for him. And I think we feel that way at Christmas. There is this there's this long history of special moments that, you know, kind of recedes off into the distance in our mind's eye. And um, it makes the day, uh, it compounds the importance, maybe even over time, as that, as that builds up over the course of your life. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's a uh, a joyful occasion. I mean, in my childhood, you know, not fully understanding the purpose, even though my dad read the Christmas story and I was raised in church. I mean, as a as a kid, it's all about <laughs> what you're going to get under the tree, right? You know, as you get older, you and and you know Christ. It's um, you understand the what's behind it all and the significance of it. I noticed my kids were always on their best behavior during the Christmas season in hopes of getting the best <laughs> presents. <laughs> yeah. But um, family, getting together, just to, uh, always being able to be together. And um, yeah, like, like you said, just I have lots of great memories of just spending that day once the opening presents was was over with. Just with family and enjoying our time together and just loving that 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 time uh, that we had, and, um, you know, you wish you could hold on to it and that it never had to end. Yeah, and it's it's one of the few times of year left to us where we're not catering primarily to the rush and convenience culture that we live in today, where Christmas is still a, a labor of love. Um, maybe one of the last vestiges of a calendar devoted to labors of love throughout the year. But Christmas is a time where we crawl into our attics and pull out old boxes full of old memories and, yeah. and we put lights up on the house. And, you know, we do things. It's it's novel in the sense that it's not like the ordinary time of the Christian year, but it's it's also the opposite of novel in the sense that we have Christmas traditions that we that kind of fill our our individual seasons 
with our families with so much meaning and, and memory. I've got ornaments on my tree that um, that my grandparents gave me when I was born. You know, so they're I've got ornaments on my tree that are missing limbs <laughs> that are forty years old uh, or older, and um, so it's it's cool for the tradition, but also for the extraordinariness of it. Right. You know, so it's kind of a funny thing. Yeah, we're doing things that uh, are more than necessary. I think some yeah, people would say that's good. unnecessary, but that's probably the wrong word. They're more than necessary. We because Christmas points to a reality beyond itself. It points to even as a even at a secular level, we view Christmas as sort of pointing to a a spirit of Christmas, right? We say uh, Christmas is about uh, the common spirit of all goodwill towards men kind of stuff. But even there, we're sort of scratching at there's something more than this materialism we've got. There's something more than just the day-to-day that we want to point to. And obviously for Christians, we have the fact that this is a pointing to the moment when the transcendent, the other, the mysterious, the wonderful God himself actually entered into the ordinary. And so we celebrate that by bringing these more than necessary things into the ordinary. Obviously, it's infamous. It's like more than famous. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's unnecessary. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's more than necessary. It's unnecessary. Yeah. You know, I I think um, I think you're right. But you know, so there's there's some of these extra things, things that we do each year at my house or watch old Christmas movies. I love some of these old Christmas movies. Um, it's a Wonderful Life may be one of my favorite movies of all time, setting Christmas aside. It's just an awesome movie. Have you guys all seen It's a Wonderful Life? Has everyone here seen that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so you're all saved. Um, <laughs> what What is it about It's a Wonderful Life that grows on you as you age? I remember as a kid sort of recognizing that it was a standard, but not really having the emotional response to it that it it, it garners now at this point in my life. So what is it about uh, It's a Wonderful Life that just grabs us? Part of it is the richness of George Bailey's struggle with life. His He's asking real questions. I think sometimes movies, especially about holiday things, they're too sappy. They don't ask real questions. Like, heaven's sakes, this guy's asking, did I miss out on the adventure of life? Because I stayed home and took care of my town and my family. I mean, that's a real deep question people ask. Did I did I marry the right girl? Did I have the right kids? Did I choose the right job? I mean, dealing with regret and worry and loss. I mean, gosh, it, it asks really good questions. And so every time I watch it, I go, man, that hits me right in the feels. That that's the kind of things that human beings and myself are always asking. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's not a, I mean, it's a happy movie. It has a happy ending and there's a lot of fun stuff in it, but it's a crisis. The movie is crisis. Um, You meet George Bailey in crisis at the very beginning Mm. of the movie. And then the, the crisis is what you described, Kyle. It's the meaning of his life and, and was it worth it? And is his own life even worth keeping? Right. Or should he throw it away? And so there's there's this imminent crisis that he's facing, this this man who who kind of lived for other people all his life. I, he's kind of the anti-Scrooge, and yet he also needs to be visited by a ghost. You know, <laughs> it happens to be an angel in, right. in this case. I was about to say, it's the, uh, it's the movie uh, and, uh, descendant, I would say, of The Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, but I, I think what's what's cool about the movie, we call it a Christmas movie because he gets the answers to these hard questions about the crisis he's in, the meaning of his life, whether it was worth it at all, what really matters. He gets the answers to that within the season of Christmas, and, and that's important. Um, and and it's, it may even be worth asking, would he get the same answer if it wasn't Christmas, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and, and so I, I, don't, I don't think he would. No. And... Um, it, this is kind of an interesting thing. There's a there's a scene in the movie if you've if you've ever watched the movie where George Bailey is at a bar and he's leaned over the bar and he's praying, um, and he's simply saying, "Help me, God, help me." And he, in the moment, um, the actor, um, Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, one of my favorite all time actors. I just can't remember his name. Um, <laughs> J- Jimmy Stewart is is actually crying because in that moment, the simpleness of that prayer struck him as an actor as particularly poignant. 
And so he's actually tearing up as an actor in that scene. And the director of the film um, wanted to capture that emotion. The camera was set about 12 feet back and it, it encompassed the whole bar. But in the movie, what you get is a close-up of Jimmy Stewart's face. The director of the film actually had to invent brand new film technology to be able to use existing film to zoom in on, to capture a zoomed in look, simply so they could get Jimmy Stewart's raw emotion in that simple prayer, God help me. But I, I would say that that prayer is why he gets the answers to that story at Christmas, because Christmas is kind of about the crisis of our lives and God's answer to our cry for help. Um, which, which brings us to this idea that, that maybe Christmas isn't all joy and presence and mm. all of those things. I mean, do you see that? I mean, our culture kind of has a way of approaching Christmas right. that, that that's, I think, garnered a lot of cynicism in recent years. Yeah, I sort of call it the Coca-Cola Christmas. It's like the, you know, the polar bears and the the Santa Claus with the uh you know, the 1950s illustrations. It's very fluffy. It's very I wouldn't say cheap might be the wrong word, but it's very synthesized. It doesn't feel real. And I think people rebel against that when life is not as cheery as the polar bears drinking Coca-Cola in the commercials. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so the, the title of this particular episode of Tis the Season is The Empty Stocking. And I guess in some ways it's, this, this is a conversation, at least we want it to be a conversation about when, um, when your particular Christmas doesn't line up with Coca-Cola's ideal. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when, when life is hard and, um, and grief is real, and and yet it's Christmas, and so the the big picture question we're asking is, um, is Christmas still worth celebrating in the sorrow, and in the grief, um, in the midst of that, does Christmas have something to say to sorrow and grief, or is it rendered sort of meaningless? And should we be should we grow cold and cynical toward Christmas because our lives didn't measure up to the joy and the elves and the you know the food and the fun of the the whole season. Should we should right. we reject it because of that? Right. Um, so so I guess maybe to kind of kick this conversation off in earnest, um, we've all lived long enough now to to experience some loss, maybe. And so, are there anything? Is there anything about approaching Christmas for you that's tinged with a bit of heaviness or or sorrow? Does does the Christmas season evoke any of that for you? You know, one of the um, Christmas mornings we celebrated as a family was after my dad had been moved down here uh, close to our house. He was maybe two miles up the street at a nursing home. We got up that morning. It was a true Christmas morning, as far I mean, as far as what you would hope for uh, weather-wise. I mean, the snow, the flakes were so big, and it was the wind was blowing. It was just a sideways snowstorm. It was just the coolest thing. Our yards got so thick with snow that morning. Our little dog that we had at the time, she ran out there and she, she ran outside. <laughs> Where she normally goes potty, and she jumped, and I mean, she disappeared. The snow was so thick. We laughed so hard and just, I mean, just had a ball for a few minutes. But we got in the car to go see my dad because um, it was Christmas morning. And um, and my girls really didn't uh, buck against that. I mean, they knew my dad's condition wasn't good. And uh, so, you know, you started out asking what we – remember about Christmas, what makes it a joyous occasion. So, you know, as a father now, and uh, I'm reflecting back on my own childhood and all the times we got to enjoy and do stuff throughout that day, and now I'm going to visit a dad who is, you know, incapacitated. Um, I'm having to teach my daughters that, you know, this is a stage of life that um, people face. But it's 
we should still take joy in celebrating, even in the context that we find ourselves in, in a nursing home room, and uh, where Grandpa's not going to leave and come to the house with us, or or whatever. It's it was just a, you know, this is where you start thinking about what matters most, you know. And I think that meant the world to my dad that we were able to come over that morning and spend some time with him. It's not about presence anymore. It's just about being together. And I think, you know, it's a wonderful life. That seems to be all that Bailey cared about in the end is I just get to be with you. And I think, um, you know, those lessons learned along the way, it, it gives us right perspective and context. And, again, it's not to throw water on the a child's excitement about waking up to gifts and stuff, but uh, get, bringing a balanced approach to uh, the real the meaning behind Christmas and, and the heart that we ought to have in the midst of it. So that's just been, um, I mean, that's just one example. Uh, I don't know if I've had too many others really that uh, are like that one, but it, it was certainly just a reminder to, to me as his son and then to my daughters as their, as his grandchildren of, you know, got to ask yourself what, what really matters the most in the, in a season like this. Yeah, so my cousin, Timothy Wisdom, he uh, was an exceptional Rubik's Cube solver and learned how to solve them in seconds flat, had a remarkable imagination, self-taught multiple instruments, including piano, exceptionally intelligent, got himself into uh, conservatory music in, in college for having self-taught himself music. Uh, ran uh, long distance marathons, all these things. Um, we lost him to depression and suicide several years ago, uh, the week before Christmas. Um, and that was, I, I tell people I am in, I am a witness to grief in the sense that uh, there are people who I got to share that with who experienced that loss much more deeply than I did. But it definitely changed my experience of December and the Christmas season in, in a pretty, pretty radical way. So, yeah, I think anybody, I've mentioned this on this podcast before. My wife and I have lost a child. <clears throat> she was, uh, 31 at the time she died unexpectedly, uh, but not entirely unexpectedly. Uh, ben of course has lost a sister since, uh, all of my children are siblings. <laughs> Um, it's funny how it worked with one out another. There. Yeah, it's really how that worked out. Um, and, you know, um, I've actually written and reflected a bit on the first Christmas. There were some kind of surprises for us the first Christmas after she died. And in particular, we, some unexpected things, like we were unpacking our Christmas gifts and our Christmas decorations, actually before Christmas, and we were going through things, and all of a sudden we came across her stocking and, you know, it had never occurred to us, what what do you do with a child's stocking who's no longer with you? That's not supposed to happen, you know. They, um, they, they wouldn't, they don't put up their parents' stocking and it's sort of a natural progression, right? It had but, never uh, occurred to me, actually. Maybe uh, I yeah. should <laughs> put up stockings for you guys. But, um, but that, uh, you know, it wasn't clear to us, either one, should we put this up? You know, what, you know, we don't want to just sort of rub everybody's noses in it. You know, I mean, we, we had this discussion. And I think when someone is gone in an untimely way, that exacerbates your sense of loss at Christmas because uh, it's unexpected. And um, even recently, just recently, I was talking to a woman who, um, who had about two years ago, before, right before COVID, um, right about now, actually, her husband was diagnosed with cancer unexpectedly. They were in their 50s, so before you would expect someone to be gone, and they were living their lives and just humming along and expected, you know, a bright future. And he was diagnosed with cancer early November, and before Christmas, he was gone. And, um, and so that Christmas was particularly hard for her, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, 
you know, because her whole world was turned upside down. And I think when you lose someone, especially a child or a spouse, uh, it turns your world upside down. And you have to sort of sort out um, uh, how you understand what's happening to your in your life and in the world when things just don't go as planned. Yeah, so um, my sister obviously comes to mind. Um, my grandfather also comes to mind. He died. One of my grandfathers died recently. The other one died um, over 20 years ago. And um, he was only 70 at the time, which seemed, it seemed like he had died of old age at the time he did it to me. But right. um, at least it seemed that way to me. But But now it just seems like he died young. You know, 70 is just not... It's just not that old um, by modern standards. So, so I, yeah, I, I think <clears throat> Christmas is tinged with the the loss of those two. And I think I, you know I'm even mindful though that there are some whose Christmas is um, whose, whose holiday season and remembrance season of remembrance is touched by death, but also some by sin. Um, families who've been separated, um, you know, not not by their own making or maybe by their own making and they're regretting the choices they made that separated them from loved ones. And, and, uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of reasons for Christmas and the memories attached to it, um, to be heavy and hard. And, you know, I think there's something about Christmas that does this for us. And I won't, I won't say to us, but I mean, I really do mean for us. Um, all the, all the things we do around Christmas from the baking and the, uh, the decorating and the lights on houses and the carols that we sing and the movies that we watch and all of the extraordinariness of Christmas, the pomp and the circumstance of Christmas, um, it, it it almost forces us into a season of remembrance where we can remember, uh, we're, 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 we're asked to remember the people in our past who, who aren't with us anymore, choices we've made, um, and it's kind of like what, what we discover in Dickens' A Christmas Carol, we discussed in another podcast episode. He's forced to look into his past and remember the people that he encountered there and the, some of the consequences of the choices he'd made and, and even the loss of his sister. Um, yeah, so um, Christmas can be hard. But do you think that the world has an answer to that kind of pain? Does Christmas the world's way makes sense of, of loss and grief. It's kind of a softball question, but <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, there it is. I would say it certainly attempts it, but I think he attempts it poorly. I think the, the bandaid it offers is something along the lines of uh, what we would call in common vernacular Christmas cheer. This idea that Christmas is a time to be happy. So just, look and act happy <laughs> and that will sort of band-aid over all of the things that we all know are happening to us we sort of pretend i think i think in the same way that people talk about um christmas and they do a lot of pretending i think they say the same should happen about our suffering we should just pretend it's not there for a season and that is quote-unquote relief and i, I think that's a horrible <laughs> way to do that yeah yeah, like it's a diversion from the suffering. Yeah. Like just celebrate, kind of like kind of like people treat alcohol. Mm, yeah. You know, drown yourself in the libation because it's an escape from yeah. from the pain. But I don't yeah. I don't think I think to your point Kyle, it attempts an answer. Its answer is something like escapism. Yeah. And it's 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 unsatisfactory. Yeah. It's less than necessary. Right. Which is one of the reasons why yeah, it's less than yeah. I like that. See what you did there. Um I think it's one of the reasons why Hallmark movies are so powerful. I, I will give them their due that they actually are leaning into basically the same type of story that all stories are told. You know, it's mm -hmm. um, overcoming overcoming your past and, you know, fi finding uh, someone to, to love you and to love and all that. But I think it also is painted over with this sheen, this um, plasticness that we can all feel. We all know this is not the way the real world feels. And people some people hate them for that reason, but there's also people who love them for that reason. They are not like the world that they know because the world they know is much harder than that. Yeah, somehow or other the meaning of Christmas to Hallmark always ends up being uh 
a lumberjack with a tender heart. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And an overworked socialite woman from the big city who yeah, yeah, who needs lost a, her belief in Christmas. Yeah, needs a, a small town reset. <laughs> so there is actually one Hallmark movie. It's in a series that they that they've done. And I'd recommend this series. It's actually a pretty poignant series. What? It's called Signed, Sealed, Delivered. Yeah. Okay? And there's a Christmas episode in the Signed, Sealed, Delivered series. Um, and the woman, there's a woman in this, the character in this story who, who wants nothing really to do with Christmas or in particular the founder of Christmas because, um, her dad ran out on her at about Christmas time. And, um, there were presents under the tree for her dad that he never opened, uh, cause he, he bolted. And so she sort of has to, at Christmas, confront that past and at the same time confront the founder of Christmas mm-hmm. um, through this Christmas pageant. Yeah. And so it's a poignant, poignant episode sort of that I think does better than than, than a lot of answers, but I think the writer of the story is a Christian. Yeah. So well, I was going to say one of the other very popular Christmas movies that actually points this reality out um, is A Charlie Brown's Christmas. Charlie Brown's Christmas is all about someone who's absolutely miserable during Christmas time, and all the popular answers are terrible and they yeah. don't work. Yeah. They don't help people. And I think this makes certain people, especially people who have experienced a lot of suffering, hate Christmas because they blame the culture's description of what Christmas cheer should be about on Christmas itself. And so they hate it because it's everyone walking around saying, put a smile on your face. And they're like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, for me, um, you know, I, I'm not going to unpack all this, but, you know, let's just say I've had a kind of a front row seat at suffering in my life on a variety of fronts, and I've had to grapple with uh, how to understand that. Um, And that's, you know, personal suffering, both physical and emotional, but also um, the loss of people in my life, like my daughter. And so for me... You know, not because I was trying to figure out Christmas and how this all fits within the overall context of Christmas, but because I was trying to understand how to interpret these things in my own life um, in a way that wasn't entirely self-absorbed. And um, and I think, you know, I've come to see Christmas differently, um, or at least maybe see through the means to the to the purpose. And the means is the baby in the stable and and um, the shepherds and the the wise men and the sheep and you know the star and all of the the events uh, that took place. but there's a purpose to those events. and the purpose is to uh, slay the dragon um, and and the baby born in a stable is the crown prince of the universe. And he is invading behind enemy lines to slay the dragon. But the thing about our existence here is that we live in the midst of a spiritual conflict. And suffering and loss and estrangement are, are casualties of war. Hmm. And so the baby arriving was the cavalry arriving in the nick of time. Hmm. It was you know, the Allied troops landing on Normandy Beach at D-Day. These were the things, it was a down payment. It was the beginning foray of a, of a uh, generations-long battle to reclaim uh, people for God. And so um, I think if we understand ro- life properly, we shouldn't be surprised by loss and suffering and estrangement, that's the natural order of the world. But what Christmas brings is um, a, a total change to the inevitability of that, right? What the right, baby yeah. in the stable offers is a way out. And, and more than, yes, a, a way out for sure, but even more than that, um, the undoing of it. You know, yeah. it's kind of like what Sam says at the end of The Lord of the Rings, because Christmas is ultimately really about the Lord of the Rings. Um, but Sam Samwise asked Gandalf, is everything bad coming untrue? And yeah. and there's something about the birth of the Savior in the manger that promises um, 
not not that it's coming untrue, but that it's somehow rendered irrelevant. Mm. And that may be that may be a hard word for someone who's suffered true loss because it's 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 something, but it's not irrelevant. Right. <laughs> but but God's goodness and His redemption are such that in the end of all things, He wipes every tear from our eyes. And I don't quite understand how that's going to happen when you really suffer something. Um, the loss of people you love in particular in my life has been sort of the, uh, the, the tip of that spear. But um, how, how is it that he's going to dry every tear from my eyes? I don't know. It might have something to do with himself, um, that he in his own self will undo the suffering that we've, mm. that we've experienced. I don't know if render it irrelevant is the right term, but it's the best I can do. Yeah, and I, I think another reason why the baby in the manger is such a powerful antidote, a powerful answer to the question of human suffering is because it is not simply a picture, but the reality of God participating in that suffering. So it's not simply that Jesus stands from afar and is able to cast arrows of light to defeat the darkness from, from, from a safe distance, but that he actually enters into the suffering and experiences it with us, that there is no level of human misery that the Savior did not also experience, uh, whether it's loss or betrayal or pain or suffering or defeat. Uh, he experienced all those things not simply as an observer but as a participant. And that kind of Savior can deliver in a different way and comfort in a different way um, than one who's wholly unaffected by what we experience. Yeah, I think the spirit of our age has done its best to um, steer our attention away from the purpose of, of Christmas and the baby in a manger. I think um, so we numb pain and grief with consumerism. We don't even say Merry Christmas in, anymore. <laughs> it's, it's happy holidays that you get from most people when you're even shopping. But, um, you know, it, it's there's no reverence, uh, or at least it's, it's diminishing more and more as the years go by. It's just uh, it, it's all about things and, and uh, what you can get for yourself. Uh, it feels that way at least. Um, and I think that's maybe what seems to be still a draw for even the service we do here for Christmas Eve. People want to come back to uh, a reminder, um, some reverence for what this is really all about. And, yeah. and what a genius thing for the enemy to do, because exactly to Keith's point, um, the losses we suffer are not uh, temporary. They're, they're, many of them are permanent, many, or at least permanent in the, in the temporal sense. They're things that linger, that last. And for the enemy to take something that has eternal significance, like the, the baby come to deliver us from the dragon, and to say, no, 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 focus on this gift, which you'll like for a couple of months, but then a couple months will go by and you'll need more. What a, what a genius way to rob us of, of what we actually need, but to try and band-aid over deep and... Uh, terrible losses with trivial material things. You know, Christmas from the very beginning um, had had suffering attached to it. Mm. Um, you know, you could read the angels' promise of a sign to the shepherds as a promise of suffering. If if you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger as a a picture of the future death and suffering that Christ would. Uh, be bound and wrapped in cloth and laid upon a stone table in the end. If it's a sign of that kind of future suffering, then then it's wrapped up there in it right there at the very start. But it, you know, Mary was also told that a sword will pierce your heart also. Here she's taking her son, eight days old, to be circumcised, circumcised and presented at the temple, and she's promised by Simeon that a sword will pierce her heart also. There's suffering hmm. here, bound up right at the start, right at the beginning of the story. But there's another one. There's another instance of this, and we see this in the Gospel of Matthew, mm-hmm. where Herod demands the slaughter of these children, of these innocent boys um, who were Jesus' age at the time. Um, he's trying to kill the king so that he can keep his throne. And here's the cool thing. We don't know this, but in the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar, December 28th, three days after Christmas, comes the feast day of holy innocence and it's this it's the day of commemoration of the slaughter of those babies 
the church remembered their slaughter because it said they were the first to die for Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a reminder, I think, right there at Christmas, the church calendar gave us this, right here in the season of Christmas, within those first 12 days, where lords are leaping and dancing and <laughs> geese are laying and all those things are happening in those first 12 days, innocence were dying, and we were commemorating the, 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 the arrival of the Savior, but also the weightiness that the world is broken and there are evil people in it that do evil things and good people suffer. It's, I think there's some wisdom that the church gave us in planting that three days after we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. It's, it's interesting. Um, so, at Christmas, we're encountering a lot of these old memories and um, how how do you, how are you taking stock of these things at Christmas in your celebrations? When you celebrate Christmas, is there anything you're doing in your observance of Christmas to uh, willfully commemorate the kinds of things we're talking about, or is it just all lights and tinsel and Santa Claus mm. at your mm. house? Mm. Well, one of the things we do every year at um, Christmas around my house is we actually watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's kind of a tradition in the Wisdom House to watch this movie. And I think the reason we do is because we all want a good cry Christmas and we don't have any other uh, context to do that maybe per se. Because that movie deals a lot with, like we've said before, it deals with loss, it deals with grief, it deals with meaning and purpose and direction of life. and um, So it's kind of a chance for all of us. We sort of sit around after the presents are uh, opened and after the Christmas dinner is eaten and you know the night is fading into into morning we sort of all gather on the sofa and we watch this movie and we all end up crying it's really fascinating I don't know how we get away with doing this every year but we always do we always find a time to sit there and have a good cry <laughs> next to each other on the couch <laughs> um, but I think it's a way for us to feel some of those emotions and honor some of the difficulty of the year we just faced uh, but believe that there was meaning to it hmm. might be one of, one of the traditions, I guess, we have that maybe mm-hmm. addresses that. Yeah, our, um, you know, so Christmas falls on Sunday morning this year, the mm-hmm. year that we're recording this. And um, for us, that means we're going to celebrate communion on the day of Christ's birth, which is a kind of a strange thing to, 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 to do. Um, if you think about it, it seems oddly morbid. They were celebrating the birth of a child and also consuming his sacrifice at the same time. But I think it does I think it does justice to this whole idea of remembering the Lord's death. Um the purpose of his arrival, the 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 boy born to die. Um but not just to die, obviously, to rise again and reign triumphant. So so yeah, I think that's going to be a good way for us as, as, as a church here at Lake Ridge to remember Christmas. And so if you're listening to this before Christmas and you had other plans for Christmas morning, uh, let this be a uh, pastoral invitation to, to, to come and, and enjoy Christmas together as a church family and, and take communion. Because it's going to be a good way, I think, to solemnize in, in, in memory um, the point of it all. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, we take that. My dad, like I said, um, Christmas morning growing up, he would always read the Christmas story before we touched any gift. Mm. And my brother and I were just so like, hurry up, you know, yeah. <laughs> get to it. Let's a go. whole chapter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, where I sit today, I, I know what my dad was doing. He was trying to be intentional about helping his young boys uh, understand their true reason for Christmas. And, um, and so I try to uh, help or when my girlfriend younger helped them understand the same thing. And when they would get antsy about it, I said, listen, just those things will, will be fine. They're waiting for you, but you'll miss out on what's even behind the gift giving. If you don't hear the words um, from scripture. And so we wanted to try to instill that in them early on. And now that I have grandkids in the picture, you know, you get to start doing that with them. And, um, you know, it's a lot of fun just to, you get to make them wait. Make them wait and just see at our house. I yeah. I make the kids wait while I read all of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. So, all ninety if pages. You About four, four and a half hours later, yeah, yeah. We're ready to open gifts. Yeah, so 
it's a it's a joy that's good but i found just personally um just enjoying the moment just um contentment has been something i've uh thank the lord for i mean obviously you're thankful for blessings he allows you to enjoy in your life and stuff but um I think contentment is just a really incredible gift to that God gives if we can learn to appreciate it, you know, for what it is. Yeah, someone, uh, it was um, a local pastor I was hearing him preach on the radio, and he said the secret uh, to true wealth is to learn the word enough. Mm. And I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of contentment and the idea of enough, and, and I guess at Christmas remembering that Jesus is enough. Um, yeah. who who he was and what he accomplished is enough to save us from our sins. Um, I just thought of which is a little bit uh, out of left field, but one gift that was just a common occurrence for my brother and I from our grandparents growing up was in our stocking. Do you remember the lifesaver books that they used to make? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those. Well, we got those every Christmas, and I just yeah, I love those. <laughs> you're gonna have to help me. You're gonna have to help me out. What's a lifesaver book? It was just it looked like a book that opened up, and it just had rolls of assorted flavor lifesavers on each side. So uh, you just had a, a about a month supply, maybe. <laughs> month <laughs> supply. Is that when you fell in love with reading? It was. <laughs> I said, this book yeah. saved my life. It's, it's a lifesaver. Yeah, yeah. I love this book. Yeah. It's great. Hey, I like reading. Don't that dog was, no, you, no, you do. That was you back do. in yeah. the age when they had candy cigarettes, too. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Selling all the little kids, yeah. one yeah. around the neighborhood with this hey, candy cigarette. here's the thing. Them. I walk into Van's office periodically, and he's smoking one of those candy cigarettes. So. <laughs> I do. I have it. It's the bubblegum cigarette where you yeah. blow and the little smoke comes out yeah. the end. <laughs> Stupid. Oh, uh, man. So there's a, there's a great Christmas carol. Um, well, there's a lot of great Christmas carols, but one of them that I discovered later in life, probably about the time I needed to discover it, was I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Mm. And, um, and Pops, you wrote something at one point that, that, that referenced that. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you might want to reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, so Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a, obviously a famous American poet. He also was familiar with suffering. Uh, he lost his first wife, um, uh, married again, and particularly attached to his second wife. And um, she died um, to, in an accident. His second wife did. She she burned to death, actually, when her dress uh, caught fire in an accident. Um, and... Less than two years later, in 1863, at the height of the Civil War, his son snuck away and joined the Union Army without his father knowing. And um, that's the context in which this is written. Um, His son was badly wounded and only just clinging to life that Christmas of 1863 when um, when he sat down and uh, wrote this poem. And um, he was grappling in his own heart with all the loss and uh, destruction that he seemed to be surrounded with in the moment. And so he wrote these words, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and thought, how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, a peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And so he's making this point that uh, it's all sweetness and light, Christmas, the bells ringing. But then he says this, and in despair I bowed my head, There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So this is the suffering moment. This is what he was living at the time he wrote this in the midst of the Civil War. And we think we know war. Half a million Americans died. A vast percentage of the living population 
of that time. Entire towns lost every young man in existence. And the war took place in their front yards. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting uh, diary published of a young man, and it's called The War Outside My Window. Uh, interesting um, story. But, but Longfellow, you know, kind of believed what we've been saying about the, the message of Christmas, the, per, the, the meaning of the incarnation, that the world is um, that the world is broken, but that uh, that doesn't mean God's asleep at the wheel. And so his final verse was this: "Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men." And um, I think we have to understand Christmas not just as an event in the past, but something that points to the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I think people think of Christmas as being about joy, and I think that's true, and that's real, and that's powerful. But another word that people don't always think about when they talk about Christmas is hope. It's a a forward-pointing moment in time, to to Keith's point from earlier on, that a, a Savior has come, and the saving has only just begun to happen, that, that his work is not yet complete, that uh, all that is wrong will be made right, that his return is on its way. And, and so we mark Christmas. In fact, uh, the early celebrations of Christmas in the church calendar uh, and Advent in particular, the weeks leading up to Christmas, were not quite so much a celebration of his original coming, but rather a, a mournful longing for his second coming for a looking forward to the day when all of these terrible things would be made right and the comfort we seek from him in the in the wiping of tears from our eyes would actually happen. Joy to the World is actually a song about that future Advent. Mm. And we sing it kind of poignantly at Christmas, and we often think it's, it's, it's pointed backward, but it's actually pointed forward to his future return. Um, interesting to, to, to think about it that way, and next time you sing it. Mm this season. Yeah, so C.S. Lewis um, had this kind of idea where he coupled joy and longing. He, he felt like they, they couldn't be decoupled. And I think if you look at what happens at Christmas, even in the Hallmark movies at one level that, we, that Kyle talked about earlier is, you know, is it, it, even to the extent they, in some cases, are trivial, they're, they point to a longing. I think you we saw that and when we did the podcast and read a Christmas carol there's this longing that's tapped into by Dickens that everybody feels and that longing is is to be satisfied to find this thing that can't quite be articulated and CS Lewis talks about this and he said he said if you find that you have a longing in your heart which nothing can fulfill hmm. you have to consider the possibility that which nothing in this world can com- fulfill, he says, you have to consider the possibility that you were made for a different world. Mm-hmm. And so I think for, for Christians, this should breed in us a sort of uh, joyful defiance around Christmas time. I think there's something stubborn about hope that I've seen in people who've experienced real loss and yet enter into the Christmas season with a lot of joy. It's a defiance. It's saying, I will not allow the darkness that has invaded my life to steal from me the true comfort I have in my Savior, uh, to to rob me of the appreciation of what has been accomplished in my salvation and what I've been promised in the future. And it's not sappy. It's gritty. It's something I've only begun to observe. It's people who cling to to, to Christ during Christmas like people cling to lifesavers uh, in a book. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> lifesavers lifesavers on the open ocean. Yeah. I, Kyle, your, your comment about joyful defiance is interesting because I was sitting here thinking putting up a Christmas tree for anyone who's suffered loss and grief is uh, an act of subtle defiance <clears throat> against the prince of darkness who might want you to believe that the suffering you've experienced defines your life. Hmm. And, and is all that there is for you in the future. Um, but hope is a choice. Uh, joy and hope is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. And so putting lights on your house or making like 
Mrs. Cratchit and make and, and preparing the best darn pudding you can make for an overlarge family, um, even though you're poor and your child is dying. You know, it's a finger in the eye at um, of suffering and and the darkness because it's it's clinging to the light in palpable, powerful ways that that breed memory. And so I think that Christmas is important. I think the lights are important. I think the tinsel is important. Um, the movies and carols are all important. It's important because it gives us a context within which to live out the hope that we do have in Christ. Um, and in these subtle little ways, uh, I'm thankful for the weird tree that we drag into our house at Christmas time. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for all those things because it does give me a stage on which to, to act out the joy and the hope and the gratitude that I have because of Jesus. I had a friend that had the most awesome Christmas tree set up. Um, and <laughs> this just speaks to my own, it appeals to me probably because I'm lazy. I mean, we 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 go all out and we decorate in, inside the house and we put lights on the house and we put up a pretty Christmas tree every year. But it's a it can be kind of a back breaking exercise to drag everything out of the attic and you know get it all assembled and all that stuff. I had a friend who felt like that was a back breaking exercise, and he built a custom home with a with an electric platform that that he had a secret place where his Christmas tree could go. And and he could just pull this trap door in his house and throw a switch, and the Christmas tree would come up from underneath the house, <laughs> completely that. decorated and ready to plug in <laughs> every year. It was the most awesome that. thing ever. Yeah, that's hilarious. And and I think to y'all's both y'all's points, the the trappings of Christmas don't have to feel accidental. They can actually be an essential part of the process of celebrating. So uh, people often want to point to Christmas as you know. Well, this was a pagan holiday, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yes, it was, and Christians stink and took it back for Jesus. So it was, it was originally this sort of Roman Saturnalia uh, celebration of the the day that was darkest in the year. It was the shortest, darkest, coldest day of the year. It was the moment when, in in their mythological terms, uh, darkness was winning, and the, they needed to have a festival to bring back the light. And so Christians looked at that and see, said, "We know exactly." what that story is and so they said we know what the light is we know the light that brings back the darkness and so the christmas trees the the tinsel the the stockings uh even santa claus man like that stuff is a way for us to redeem practices that point us to jesus and all the merrier for it i think yeah the uh evergreen tree is also kind of a a, a point a poignant reminder of of hope um, this sort of living thing in the midst of death, you know, uh, we drag into our houses, uh, points to life beyond the cold death around us. You know, it's a, mm. it's a cool symbol. There's a lot of cool symbols. The cardinal is also, a, a, there's a reason the cardinal is around at Christmas. It's a reminder of Christ mm-hmm. at Christmas. Um, there's a lot mm. of cool little, little things that we see without thinking. Yeah. And so I, I think for me, one of the things I'm going to, I'm going to try to be better about in my house is understanding the symbols around me, hmm. um, understanding hmm. the symbolism and, and, and bringing it forward um, for my kids, actually talking about the cardinal or the Christmas tree or the wreath or the candles or the lights or whatever it is and talk about how it points us to Jesus hmm. um, and why, why we do these things. I think that's just one way I'd like to be better uh, at our house about living into the the reason for the season. Okay, there, mm. I said it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we experienced it a little bit when we talked about A Christmas Carol, and I think it's been brought up a couple times in this discussion, but leaving space during Christmas to cry, leaving space during Christmas to mourn some of these things in, in a way that doesn't take away from the celebration. Um, you know, one of the poignant moments in A Christmas Carol is this moment where Charles Dickens actually mentions the empty chair in the corner with the crutch with no owner. The Tiny Tim, in this vision of the future at least, uh, this potential future for Scrooge, had passed away. And that marker in the story is something 
uh, cathartic and important for not only the characters but for the readers. We needed to feel that loss mm -hmm. be because it helped us appreciate the joy of everything else in a better way. Um, so I would say, you know, leaning into that in some way, you know, if you've got to leave an empty chair at your at your Christmas celebration, if that's something you need to do, maybe it's for a lost loved one or maybe it's for the king who's going to take that seat later, you know, when this Christmas season comes in, in its fulfillment. Mm. I think leaning into Christ as comforter at Christmas is something I want to I want to lean into more. Something Second uh, Corinthians 1, uh, really 3 through 7 talks about um, that Christ isn't one who just avoids our suffering, but he comforts us in affliction. Mm. Mm -hmm. We helped out at uh, Rockwall Estates several years ago. We were building garden boxes, uh, Lake Ridge was, in people's yards so they could – it's a very uh, poor, poor, poor uh, neighborhood over there by Buffalo Creek. And uh, you never know it. You have to turn off a of horizon and then you make your way back to a bunch of trailer houses and um, – Anyway, so we're there on that day. It's pretty close to the Christmas uh, season. And uh, we built a garden box in this one yard, and this lady was there with her two little kids, Hispanic. And um, anyway, we finished, and Leslie and I were there to talk to the lady, and her English was decent. Little kids were out there, I mean, just playing with a ball. And um, we started asking, you know, uh, I think she said that um, – they're hoping for a slide or something like that one day. And uh, we happened to have an old wood swing set in our backyard that the girls had just pretty much outgrown. And we had some stuff that we thought, you know, we could go home and get uh, dolls and toys. And uh, we had a slide that we could give them. Um, I said, would you like that if we went to our house and got it? And so we, we take off. And it's not too far from where we live in Forney and uh, – we got back, and between the time we left her house and got and got back to their house with all these things to give her two little girls, um, that woman had gotten into her kitchen, and I mean, made all of these elaborate uh, Mexican desserts and stuff that I guess were customary for them that time of the year. And and we said, please come in the house. And had Leslie and I sit down on the couch. I mean, it was just. It was her thank offering, you know, for just giving. And the kids were just having a ball with all the toys. And, you know, you just sit there and you're thinking, that was no sacrifice at all on our part. I mean, we had just had excess laying around our house that wasn't being touched. and um, But you just saw the impact that it had in somebody else's life and the gratitude that she had that we would even think to go to our house and just bring it over. She, she, Do I need to pay you for this? Like, no, 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 no. And... uh Husband was apparently off working somewhere, and um, the the little kids they they kind of cling to Leslie's legs as we were needing to go, and they were crying when we were leaving. They didn't want us to leave, you know. So you're kind of reminded of uh, the impact to our podcast on um, a Christmas Carol that uh, generosity, thinking of others and not yourself can have in people's lives and it's really an open door for the gospel to be presented and so you know moments like that moments at home with family on christmas day those are the things that uh, i think to myself in those moments of just sitting by the fire in contentment i wish this could just last forever yeah and it will and i and i think to your you point know. van those acts of of um mercy and generosity uh, are, are great counter uh, maneuvers for grief yeah. mm. and loss mm. yeah. um, when you willfully sort of turn your attention to others right. and off yourself. I think it's a great counter maneuver to, to the grief and loss that can ex exist at Christmas. So true, so true. And I think it, it makes all the difference in the world for anybody who's suffering to find a way to get beyond your own needs and focus and to mm. bless someone else. I'll tell you the most powerful experience I ever had or witnessed with that, and it was a young couple. This was around 2006, kind of at the height of the wars that were going on in Iraq and, and Afghanistan, and uh, Beck and I connected with and decided <clears throat> one Christmas we were going to try to help. And sort of intentional, in the midst of our own suffering at that time, we were going to try to help. Uh, a, a young family in the military who uh, was involved in 
and the wars. And we got connected with a young couple down in Tacoma, Washington at the time. And we drove down there and uh, Diane and Anton were their names. And uh, Anton on deployment um, had uh, been blown up uh, by uh, a, a roadside bomb and uh, had traumatic brain injury and uh, blew some fingers off of one hand and kind of mangled his other arm and whatnot. Well, at the time this happened, Diane, who was a, I describe her as a for, formidable woman of Italian extraction, she was pregnant and they had uh, one child with cerebral palsy. And she was trying to hold off the baby because she was expecting him home any day. And like the day before he was supposed to fly home, she found out he'd been blown up and was in Germany and was going to be sent to Walter Reed. And she, as in her words, she decided it's time to evict the baby. <laughs> and so she went into the hospital and induced and got her baby out. And then her parents uh, took charge of her uh, child with cerebral palsy. And for the next six months, she sat at Anton's bedside with a newborn in her arms and kind of acted as his advocate in the military system. So we're sitting there with them in their house that night. And uh, a lot of good cheer, a lot of affection between them. And uh, and we were there to do something for them. And we asked them what they, what they needed. And they wouldn't. It would, wouldn't offer anything that, that they needed. And finally, uh, I, <laughs> Anton said, well, I guess I could use a pair of mittens. Um, and, and because he'd lost his fingers, he couldn't, he couldn't get, you know, the gloves, gloves, were, were no gloves weren't working, you know. And, um, and uh, but Becca, you know, my wife is sharp-eyed and pays attention and kind of understands young moms, and she noticed they didn't have a washer or dryer. And so we determined that we were going to uh, kind of uh, connect with a bunch of friends back at our church, and we were going to, and we did. We pulled together and got them a washer and dryer. But that really wasn't the, the point of the story. The point of the story was what they really wanted, and all Diane wanted was to be able to feed his unit on Christmas Day, mm. all the guys that couldn't go home and be with their families. Mm. And that's all she cared about. I mean, if we were going to do anything, she said, just help me buy Christmas dinner for these guys and I'll cook it. And so we ended up getting them a, a Costco gift card and she went to Costco and she loaded up and they had his entire unit over the guys who couldn't go home and be with their families at Christmas. And she cooked Christmas dinner complete with spaghetti, apparently, mm. which is a, mm. which is a thing yeah. uh, for, for Italian Christmas dinner. Christmas. Um, and, uh, but what struck us is we just kind of staggered back to the car humbled because there they were. They were a young couple, a handicapped husband, a handicapped child, mm. a baby, in arms and their interest that Christmas mm. in helping them was to be able to provide something for others, to help them provide something for others. And and we were just stunned and moved and altered by that experience. Mm. Well look, I we, we've already read <clears throat> the lyrics once, but I I I think it'd be appropriate if we close this particular conversation on the empty stocking out with um Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's the bells on Christmas Day. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. So, Pops, once more under the breach, if you would, sir. Okay. The lyrics. We'll finish up with this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old, familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men.
This has been a Faith and Culture Conversation, a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church. You can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing.